All right, so I didn't come up and share in time earlier, but uh, we have a contract on our house finally. So true, real praise from the Lord. So I didn't want you to have to listen to me twice today. So I uh, didn't come up earlier. So yeah, we have a, it's been a long time uh, trying to sell our house. So we're very thankful. The Lord has, uh, in his gracious wisdom, chose the perfect time to sell it. Amen. So I want to I share this morning. So this is a mission Sunday morning. So let's talk about missions, right? So you guys know that my wife and I, we were um, in Oregon last weekend sharing on behalf of Serve India. And it was the first church that we got to go to on a long trip. And so we go to this church it's called Riverside Christian Fellowship. And it's a, it's a pretty small church. There's about 100 people there. And they were so excited to hear about missions. It was really fun, like a lot of fun. And when I get done, they said, well, how much do I write the check for? And I said, well, what do you want? And they said, we want to support a whole field. Like on the spot, they supported a whole field of pastors just like that. $10,000, they just wrote a check. So praise God for what he's doing in the line of missions. But if we're going to talk about missions, we probably ought to talk about the Great Commission. Amen? So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 28. Let me flip this over. I think that'll work. There we go. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. Let me get my old man spectacles on here. You know, one of the things that happens to us in the church is we read the same verses over and over and over, and they can become almost numb to us. So I pray this morning as we go through some verses, and this is not going to be a very long service, um, not a very, very long message, but I, I wanted to challenge us as we look at some very familiar verses. Can we see them for the first time again? Can we see him as if God's speaking to us today for the first time as we read the Great Commission? And so we're going to read out of Matthew 28, and we're going to start in verse 16. And the Bible says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And while they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, and here's where the, the nuggets of gold are. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. You think about this. So Jesus, he came and he did exactly what his father told him to do. He came and he died on the cross for us. He rose three days later for us. He's gonna give the promise of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. But he tells him, he says, all authority, like everything is mine. Like everything is mine on heaven and on earth. All authority is mine. Verse 19, he says, now go, because of who I am, because of all that Jesus is, now he wants us to go. He says, go therefore, and that therefore is because of what Jesus has done, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, because of who he is, he's telling his disciples here to go. Now, does this mean that everybody in this room should all move to India, right? It'd be great, wouldn't it? No, that's not what God's called us to. Think about our theme last year as a church. What was our theme? Does anybody remember? Just shout it out, besides Merlin. Available, right? And when you think about this word go, are you available? That was our theme last year. So when you see go, I think Jesus would have us to say, are you available? It doesn't mean that you have to go to sub-Saharan Africa. It could be across the street to your neighbor's house. Amen? 
But we have to be, have that ability to, to go. And not only go, but he tells us to go and make a disciple. Now think about that for a minute. We have to go and make a disciple. What does that mean? Well, it means it takes time. I mean, there's some, there's some pouring out to be a pouring in. You know, a disciple is a, it's a learner, it's a scholar, it's someone who's following after. You know, Jesus had just spent three years with these guys. And we just read the verse that even in the midst of that, they still had their doubts. They still had their doubts. So we're to go and make disciples, a follower, a learner of all nations, which is part of the going, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that public proclamation of what God has done in their lives. Then he goes on in verse 20, he goes, and by the way, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. All things that I have commanded you. And you think about that, one of the things that Jesus taught us to do was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. But Jesus ends it with this. He says in the second half of verse 20, he goes, oh, by the way, I'll be with you the whole time. Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Like I'm gonna be with you the whole time. So it starts with Jesus and all that he is, and he wants us to go in his authority, in his power, his strength, his teachings, and go and make a disciple. And he wants us to teach them to observe all things that Jesus taught us. And he goes on, by the way, that I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. Like this is not just a great commission, like this is an amazing commission. Like he's telling us to go, but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with you the whole time. You're gonna go in my power, my strength, my teachings. Like he's done it all. So when you look at the Great Commission, you think, okay, well, how are we doing? How are we, as a church culture, how are we doing admissions? How are we doing at following the Great Commission? You know, the statistic in 2018 that $700 billion came through the hands of the church, all churches. 99% of that, 97% went to run our church as a church culture. 90, 97%. Two other percent went to evangelize people that have already heard the gospel. Less than 1% of 1% went to further the kingdom, to reach unreached people. That's a terrible statistic. We're not doing so well. We're not doing so well. So I want to challenge us with a question this morning. Can you make a disciple if you're not one already? Can you hear me this morning? Can you make a disciple if you're, if you're not a disciple? You know, we like to have these evangelistic campaigns and those types of things where people go out and they get, they get saved and we want to plop them in a pew and we want to move on. That's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to follow that theme of what does it mean to be a disciple? And I want to share some challenging verses. I think they're extremely challenging about the cost of discipleship. And I want us to, as we walk through that, allow the Lord to challenge us. Like we need to be challenged. I need to be challenged. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And this verse, and, I, and if you've talked to me at all in the last two weeks, this is the verse that I can't quit talking about. And it's, this is a, a section of scripture that I've read over and over and over and over. And then you ever have that happen where you read a section of scripture and the Lord just speaks to you and it's just so, so powerful to you. So I pray this morning 
that as we, as we read these scriptures and as we walk through the examples in scripture, that God will do the same thing for us, that he would change us, he would challenge us. You know, when you think about the, the great heroes of the faith, like the George Mueller's of the world or the, the Mary Slessers or the David Livingston's or the Merlin Millers and those kind of guys, like when you think about these great men of God, not Merlin, I'm just teasing. He's a good man of God for sure. But what, what draws us to these amazing stories? What draws us to these amazing men and women of God? It's the fact that they're completely sold out for the Lord. Like they abandon everything to follow Jesus. Wouldn't it be cool if you just knew somebody like that? I think that'd be great. What if God could do that with this entire church? If everybody in this church just said, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm going all in. And so I would ask this morning, can we allow the Lord to raise the expectation of what a disciple is in our lives? Can we allow him to raise that up as we look to his word and as we're being challenged? And I don't say those things to challenge your salvation. I say those things to challenge you in your faithfulness to the Lord that we need to grow up in Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. So the Bible says in verse 34 of chapter eight, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he says to them, and I'm reading from the New King James, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let him do those things. And when you think of the word there, when he says, let him deny, let him deny, that word there means to affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone. Think about Jesus and Peter's conversation late in Jesus's life where he tells Peter he's gonna deny him. And then Peter eventually does deny him. And he says, I know not that man. Well, that's what Jesus is telling us to do with ourselves. Like we should have no acquaintance with ourselves. And this isn't talking about self-denial, like, hey, I'm gonna give up some sugar. I'm gonna give up soda. It's not pop, it's soda. We're, not, we're gonna give up pop or soda or whatever. We're not gonna do whatever. We're not gonna listen to whatever. We're not talking about self-denial. He's talking about laying it down. Like saying, I'm so tired of this, I don't want it. And I want you to see Jesus that way this morning that nothing compares to who he is and his great commission that he's called each one of us to do, not just the pastor and the elders and some young people to go on mission trips. This is our calling for us, amen? It's our calling, so let's go on. So when I was praying about this, I'm like, Lord, help us to understand this deny. It's such a, it's a powerful message there. So if you would turn over a couple of pages to uh, Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're gonna start in verse 17. And think about that theme of deny. And again, another way to look at that is to forget oneself, lose sight of oneself, one's own interest. And here we have the account of the rich young ruler. And I'm just gonna read through this through verse 22. Now the Bible says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So you've got this rich young guy and he runs up and he's at the feet of Jesus and he calls him good master. And the word good there, he's basically saying perfect or holy or righteous, like like there's none better than you. And Jesus challenges him and says, verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. So this young guy had seen some good things in Jesus, probably some of you, 
saw some miracles, probably heard some of his teachings, but he realized there was something Jesus had that he was missing. So he comes to Jesus and he says there in verse 17, what must, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus in verse 19 says, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And that section of the law that he's talking about there, really it's it's considered the second table and this is all about how we deal with other people. And so this rich young guy, his answer to Jesus was, well, uh, I've done all that. I've done all that from my youth up. Like, I've got all that figured out. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's agape love. And said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Those words we just read in Mark 8.34. But his response to Jesus, he says, but he was sad at his word. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Great possession. So you have this rich young guy. He comes and he's at the feet of Jesus. Like he's got the right, right response. He's at Jesus' feet. It's where God wants us to be. He recognizes Jesus as God and he wants what he has to offer. But his question is, what must I do? So many times that's us. Like, Lord, what do I need to do to, to earn that salvation? What do I need to do to do those things where Jesus is trying to help him to see, number one, you need to understand that you're a sinner. Do we still remember that? I've been walking with the Lord for 23 years, and I can tell you, I feel like I I got coasting there for a while. And maybe that's happened to you. We got to be reminded that we need a Savior, just as much today as we did day one in our walk with the Lord. The day you were born again, or that that process of being born again and, and being baptized with the Lord, we need to have that fire provoked in us again. You know, we had that message from Brother Ebby some months ago where he talked about how he, we need to have that boiling over inside of us. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear things like this because I need to have that fire rekindled in me. So this, this young man comes to Jesus. He's not willing to admit that he's a sinner. He's not willing to deny himself and realize who I am in the presence of Almighty God. And Jesus says, okay, well, if you want to do something, then take everything you have, sell it, give it away, and then come and follow me. Go give it all away and then come and follow me. And so in the midst of that, the, the gentleman walks away very sad, very sad. So has God ever spoken to you and you walk away sad? Like Merlin's had some tough messages lately, like the non-resistance. Who thought that was just a lot of fun? Man, was that tough, but it's truth. I don't know about you, but I walked away sad. Like, that's a lot to digest, but it's truth, and I can't argue with that. He preached another hard one on submission. Ah, that's not a good one either, and we're not just talking about wives here. He's talking about our submission with the Lord. Do we ever walk away sad and need time to to allow things to be digested? But this guy is like, no, you know what? God put his finger on something. You went far enough, Lord, I'm out. Like, are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to separate yourself and say, you know what, I want all of Jesus because that is so much more important than this. Amen? My wife told me not to say that too much today. And not to bring her up, so. (laughs) 
so uh, failed. But he finishes with his, his talk, his, his conversation with him, and he tells him, you do those things, take up your cross and follow me. Go back to Mark 8:34 for a few minutes. I'm going to look at this verse one more time. Again, he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. You know, when you think about taking up your cross, last week was Communion Sunday, and we weren't here for that, so I, I really hate that. I love Communion Sunday. But it's all about remembering what God did for us. That's what Jesus said. When you remember, have communion. Remember the things that I have done for you, the blood that was spilt for you, the, my body that was, was really destroyed for you. But we've taken the cross and we've made it pretty little things, haven't we? We put them on our churches. The church we spoke at Sunday has a great big white one on top of the church and it's real pretty. That's not the cross that Jesus died on. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but unto us it's the power of God. We need to hear that. We need to be reminded that Jesus suffered and died for you, that Jesus was tortured and died for you. That cross that he says that we should be taking up is a one-way trip. So Jesus, he didn't carry his cross up and then come back later. Actually, he didn't carry it all the way. Remember, we had to have, he had to have help. But going to Golgotha, which is the, the uglier version of the name, the place of the skull versus Calvary, it was a one-way trip. Can we put ourselves in that, kind of, in, that, in that thought process that we want to deny ourselves, we want to take up our cross, our one-way trip up to the cross and allow ourselves to die that we can follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You know, Jesus had been having a conversation right before this section with Peter in, in uh, eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 27. And Jesus would have been asking his disciples, hey, what's, uh, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. And his challenge back to them was, well, then who do you say that I am? And you know, Peter, love this guy. He's like, oh, I got this one, guys. You're the Christ. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, you've answered right. You've answered right. And then right after this, going into verse 31 and down, um, Jesus says in verse 31, he says, and I began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And right after this, Peter rebukes him and says, no, 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 Lord, there's a different way. And Jesus says, no, 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 there, there's but one way. Now think about that. This was the conversation he just had with Peter, and these verses flow right behind that. Was he reminding of us, or was he, was he trying to help us to be reminded of that's the process for us. We're gonna be persecuted. We're, we're gonna have those things happen to us. I remember we're thinking back to the uh, Matthew 28 with the Sermon on the Mount. Can we be a disciple? Can we not be a disciple and make a disciple? It's not gonna happen. So I wanna challenge us this morning to raise that expectation of what a disciple looks like in your life. Another set of examples. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 57. So the other aspect, we have denying, we have taken up our cross, and then we have following the Lord. And this is where people get really confused, and there's lots of different ways people do things. <clears throat> but I want to look at, there's three quick examples here of people that Jesus ran into. And the heading in this section of my, my Bible says the cost of discipleship. Just a side note, if you haven't read the book, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you're really missing out. 
It's an exposition on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's amazing. Good brother. So the Bible says in Luke 9, 57, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll, I will follow you wherever you go. So you've got, a, you've got some guy who just runs up to Jesus. Jesus didn't say anything to him that we know of here. And the guy's going, hey, 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 I'll follow you. Right? Like he's all over it. And Jesus' challenge to him right away is, in verse 58, he says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His challenge back to him was, are you, are you sure about this? You know, over and over in Scripture, and we don't have time today to go into all those different examples, the Lord tells us to count the cost. Count the cost of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not cheap. It's not cheap at all. It requires, it, it, Jesus had to pay everything for us, and he expects nothing less in return. He wants all of us laid down in order to follow him wholeheartedly. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're that one who says, Lord, Lord, I'll follow you wherever. But as soon as things get hard, you just, you just give up. You come and you come, to hear, you come to church a few times and, man, I'm encouraged. And then some difficulty happens and then you kind of lose your way. This fellow was too quick to jump in without really understanding what it was he was getting into. And this is what was a struggle for me coming to know the Lord was, like, I need to know all that I'm getting into. And I'm still learning that. But it's, it's not a small thing. It's not pray a little prayer and hope for the best. It's committing your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Next example here is verse 58. He says, then he said to another, and this is Jesus now. He says to another guy, he says, follow me. And the guy responds. He says, but Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. You go preach the kingdom of God. You know, this guy's very slow in his response to the Lord. And we, and we have that too, don't we? Like the Lord wants us to do something. You think, well, you know, when the kids are grown, I'll do that, Lord. Or when, when we retire, get the house paid off and get the pool put in and we buy the RV, then, then Lord will we'll serve. Well, Lord, you know that wife of mine, Right? Not my wife, by the way. It's twice. But we like to make excuses, don't we? I can't go, you know, long plane trip. Lord, that's a long way. I don't want to do that. Lord, I don't, I don't like that food. Lord, it's hot there. We love our excuses. We love our excuses. If you're a parent, you know excuses, right? <laughs> Side note. This guy's very slow in his response to the Lord. And Jesus rebukes him and says, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another example in verse 61. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus says to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. You know, in our following of the Lord, it's not a start and stop. It shouldn't be. It should be, I'm all in. And Lord, I, I just want to follow you through this. I want to follow you through this. So when you think about that great commission, in my opinion, we're not doing so well as a church culture. And I think we don't do so well is because I don't think we're effectively making disciples. My opinion. And we can argue that later. But the expectation on everybody's life in this room who says yes 
to Jesus that you'd be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And not only a disciple, but you'd also be able to replicate that in someone else. That someone else could see the love of Jesus in your life and you could replicate that into someone else's life. God wants you to do that. That's the great commission. Now, the nice thing about that is he said, well, if you're over 65, you don't have to do that. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, go. He said to go. That's the expectation. Let's go back to Mark 8.34 one more time. <clears throat> the Bible says when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he says to them, and I want to focus on this word here. This, this is the word that just blew me away. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. So we've talked about the big three there, to deny, to take up the cross, to follow. This isn't something we can put on. Like, this isn't something we can fake. Um, you can fake it for a little while, but they'll figure it out. But you can't fake anything in front of the Lord. But the Bible says here, and your version may say, will come. The word there is thalo, and I'm not a Greek scholar. Merlin could probably help you out with that. But it basically means, and I wrote it down here so I wouldn't forget. Let me get to it. To will, to have in mind, to intend, to be resolved or determined, to purpose, desire, to love, to take delight in. Like, do you delight in the Lord? Do you desire to come after him? Do you have a longing inside that says, Lord, I want what you have because the mess I've made of my life myself, the struggle that I have daily of trying to put me and you together every day, it's not working out. And the Lord wants us to come to the end of ourselves, where we just raise our hand and say, like when the kids used to, when they would wrestle when they were kids and one of them would say uncle or tap out was a big thing with my boys, which they would almost die before they would do that. Um, but we're no different, are we? Like we go down kicking and screaming. Like Jesus has done everything for us And in his word, he wants us to follow him. In his word, he wants us to deny ourselves completely. He wants us to take up our cross, that cross of obedience that leads to Golgotha where we're gonna die. And he wants us to follow him. And that follow him is according to his word. According to his word. And there was a statistic that I read that said that young people spend as much as 60 hours a week on a social media device or a phone or something. 60 hours. That's commitment, isn't it? How much time do we spend with our Bibles? Is it an hour a week? Is it two hours a week? Is it Sunday morning? We're not gonna grow in the Lord if we're not willing to take him at his word, allow him to mold us and make us and change us. That's what we need. We want revival in our church. We, we were praying for that in Sunday school this morning. Kermit um, wanted to pray that we would have revival in our church. Revival happens when God's people get right with him. When his church gets right with him. There was a, it was a revival at Asbury, the school there in Lexington, Kentucky. I think it was early 70s. And it, this revival broke out with their young people as they started repenting of their sin. And revival broke out. I want us as a church to have revival. I need those coals in my own cold, dark heart at times to be provoked into good works to following Jesus more faithfully. So do you desire him this morning? Is Jesus everything for you today? Are you committed? Are you all in? And that's only a question you can answer.
It's not a question that I can answer for anybody else but myself. And I can tell you, this is a super challenging message for me. Like, I love sharing, but I'm not a real big fan of this message. Like, I really do like to preach and share from God's word. But this is a challenge because, I, to be honest with you, I don't own this. I don't own this. I would prefer to preach from something that I own, but I am in the process of getting a hold of this. And that's where God wants us to be, that never-ending process of sanctification with our Lord. Amen? So why don't you stand? And I want to read the last part of Mark 8 here as kind of a, a benediction to us, and then we'll pray. And I would ask you just close your eyes, bow your head, and I just want to finish off. I'm just going to start back in verse 34 and read through verse 38. And these are some challenging scriptures for us. And I just pray that you would hear these as unto the Lord. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for Jesus this morning in the tremendous sacrifice, Lord, that you made for each one of us. As Merlin shared this morning, Lord, you, it's, your word, it's your will that none should perish, Father, but all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But Lord, I, I'll be the first to admit that as a church, we're very weak, Father. As a church culture, we're weak in our ability to make disciples because I feel we lack confidence and boldness in, in you. And Lord, I just pray you would open up our eyes. Help us to see where we stand before you, Lord. As, your song, as Psalm 139 says, Lord, would you examine us this morning and help us to see where we stand? And may you raise that expectation of what a disciple is, Lord, that we can go out and make disciples, Father, because that's your will. And you've told us you have given us all that we need to be able to go out and do that, Father, but you need a willingness, Lord, but it starts with us laying our life down, Lord, being sick of who we once were. And not dragging that along with us, Father. Help us to be resolved to be all in, Father. Lord, we need your help with that. Oh, we need your grace to be able to do this. That we could truly deny ourselves, Lord, take up our cross and follow you. And Lord, I just pray your blessings on us as a, as a congregation. Lord, bring revival to us. Bring revival to us. Bring revival to me, Lord. And Father, I want to pray a blessing over those three that were up here for Clarissa and Denise and, and Andrew. Thank you for their willingness to go. May it be a challenge to all of us to be available and to go where you lead, even if it's a short trip. Lord, that you would open our eyes to the work that you're doing all over, Father. Help us to see where we need to be plugged in and growing and doing and, and, and being a part of your business, uh, our Father's business. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I pray you dismiss us in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.